And Father, we pray that, that you would continue to implant that on our heart as we go through the rest of this service and as we, as we come to your word, Father, because we know we, we keep coming back to your word over and over again because we know you have the words of life. And so we want to hear you speak. We want your guidance. We want your wisdom. We want your direction in our lives. And so we pray that you would do that now as we come. And that all of the different things that could distract us, we, have, we all come with fears and anxieties and frustrations. And, um, and Father, we just pray that, that you would push all those off to the side um, so that we could hear you speak clearly to each one of us this morning. And so, Father, speak clearly. We ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, our passage this morning is kind of Woman at the Well, Part 2. Um, and so we'll be looking at John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to that. Otherwise, the passage will also be on the screen. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Well, I was thinking about this assignment I was given early on in my ministry um, I don't remember where I was, if it was a, an assignment. It could have even been an assignment in college, or I did a, numerous ministry trainings. But, but we had just learned this kind of new method for sharing the gospel, and so the assignment was, go use it. Find someone this next week, find a non-believer, share the gospel with them, write a report on it, come back, and you'll report to the class on what you did. And I remember the immediate feeling of fear and dread um, rising up within me. And I remember like having a million questions and excuses on why this was not going to work. And, uh, 
And in the midst of that, what I thought was interesting is I was like fearing and dreading and having all this anxiety. The Lord did lay somebody's, like somebody's mind came to my heart. And I'm like, okay, I'll try to figure this out. And so I spent the next week worrying about how I was going to have this conversation with this person. And eventually, providentially, um, I ran into them on the street and said, hey, let's, let's go get coffee together. So we went and had coffee. We talked for quite a while, but, but I really didn't enjoy the conversation at all because I was worried the whole time, how am I going to turn this conversation into a gospel conversation? And, and I was just never finding the opening, and it was all kind of anxious and weird. And then eventually the conversation was done, and he's like, hey, I got to go. And I was like, oh, I haven't done it yet. So I just kind of went, hey, let me ask you a question. And asked him all the questions I was supposed to ask him and read to him the Bible verses that I was supposed to read him and answered some of his questions. And then he went home and I went home and I think we were both relieved <laughs> that, that that whole interaction was over. And, you know, I've thought about that a lot over the years because I've wondered, like, what was it? Like, what was it about that interaction that caused so much anxiety? and fear and, and dread in me. Um, what made that conversation between him and I so kind of awkward and, and weird? You could just see it. It was just, un, the whole thing was really uncomfortable. And, and part of it, I'm sure, part of the awkwardness was just my own anxiety. I mean, I'm sure that just kind of made, he's like, what is wrong with you? Um, so that's true. But even if I would have been calm and relaxed, the, the conversation would have been forced. It would have, it didn't feel right. And and when I think about that, I think, well, it's no wonder why so many Christians are like, I just don't share my faith with anybody. Because we all kind of feel that, that kind of awkwardness, that tension. And, you know, if I, if I were to say, here's the assignment for us, church, next week, you're going to share the gospel with one non-believer, and then next week's service, we're each just going to get up and tell the church whether we did that or not and how it went. How would you feel? I see already. <laughs> Just the thought of possibility, like he's not going to do that, right? Me? No. Um, but there, there's an anxiety that comes there, and you wonder, why, why is that? And, you know, I've talked to some people, and they're like, well, well I, I get anxious about this because I just don't know if I'm prepared enough. I don't know if I have the right things to say. I'm worried if I talk to somebody, they're going to be smarter than me. They're going to have better answers than me, and they're going to, you know, just say I'm wrong, and, and I, I'm not ready to do it. So I don't know that. Or other people are just worried they're going to mess it up. I've talked to some people who are like, what if I try to lead them to salvation, and then I accidentally lead them, like, astray? <laughs> like, that would be scary. And, you know, some people are worried that, like, just offending somebody or angering somebody. Like, what if I get in a conversation, and they just get really angry, and they start yelling at me? I don't really want, I want that. Um, I've, heard, I've heard pastors and youth pastors over the years say kind of like, well, if you really loved Jesus, you would talk about him really more. And the kind of assumption is, since you don't talk about Jesus enough, then maybe you don't love him as much as you should. And, and you're like, well, logically, that kind of makes sense. But like, I know myself that like when I was talking to that young man and wanting to share the gospel with him, I was at like, one of the peak points of my passion for following Jesus. I was talking to people about Jesus all the time, but that interaction was different. And I've known a lot of other people that really, really love Jesus, but still struggle to share the gospel with people. So that's not it. 
Um, so what is it? And uh, one of the things I, I've thought over the years, I think we've just made it too complicated. And uh, as I've done, um, I really have a heart for sharing the gospel with people. So I've done like, I don't know, 10 to 15 different trainings on how to share the gospel with people. And, and I walk away going, feeling like we've taken all of these kind of like business, business and marketing and sales techniques and tried to bring them in and tried to like send people out door to door with the gospel. And then I read the Bible and I don't see people going door to door with the gospel. <laughs> and I don't see people using like sales and, and marketing techniques. And so I think, I think we've kind of made sharing the gospel something that it was never meant to be. Um, never intended to be, and we've really complicated it. And and when we start trying to like present the gospel to someone like a salesman, um, it doesn't go well because people don't like to be manipulated. Uh, that's why people don't like salesmen. And trust me, I was a salesman only two months because I don't like trying to manipulate people either. But after two months, I was like, this is not me. But people don't like salesmen because they're always on edge, right? What are you going to try to get me to do that I don't want to do? And so when you start talking to someone like a salesman and they feel like you're trying to sell the gospel, they're like, wait, I don't trust you. You're trying to manipulate me. I'm not going to really trust what comes out of your mouth. And so I don't think that's the way we need to go about things. I think it would be better if we just take a lot of the anxiety out of it, a lot of the kind of uncomplicated, um, take all the manipulation out of it and do something much more simple, which I think the gospel of John shows us over and over again. Um, I think today's passage is one of the like most beautiful, simplest way uh, examples of someone just sharing the gospel and it bearing fruit, but it was really simple and, and basic. Um, and, and, and I kind of, I just love how the story starts off. There's all this kind of weird, awkward tension. If you, if you remember where we left off last week, Jesus had been tired, hungry, thirsty. He was sitting at the well. Um, and this woman came up, so he started talking to her. And you remember, he told her, like, it's not about the well. It's not about the mountain. It's about me. I, I'm the Messiah. And, and in the middle of that, the disciples kind of break up. Char, I don't think my, oh, there it works. Um, just then, as they're having this moment where Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, says, just then the disciples come back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said anything. No one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town. It's kind of like Jesus and her having this moment, and the disciples just kind of come ignorantly bumbling in and, and interrupt the whole thing. And then they're like, and it's awkward. They're like, what's going on here? But we're not going to say anything. And the woman takes the opportunity to go like, well, this is a break in the conversation. I'm heading out. And she heads into town, but John gives us this really, this little line that I've missed until recently. The woman left her water jar. And it's a beautiful little, just a little thing in there, John saying, like something's changed in her heart. She, she came to the well with a water jar because she came seeking water from the well. And she got something better. She got this, this living water that Jesus offered. And so when she left, she didn't need the jar anymore. She left with the living water that Jesus was offering her. And she ran back into town. And when she goes into town, here's what she says. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? And what's really incredible about this, and I think I mentioned this last week, you know, this is, here's a woman with, with a history, right? With a reputation. Um, here's a woman who was going to the well at noon, most likely because she was trying to avoid people because of all of her reputation and all of her history. And now she goes running back into town, leaves her water jar, and starts eagerly talking to all of the people she was trying to avoid. And she's saying, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's her witness. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. It's not, it's not manipulative. It's not trying to change, trying to like work the conversation to become you know, a gospel conversation. It's just saying, I met this guy. We had a great conversation. Something happened within me. You got to go see him too. And she says, can he be the Christ? Is he the Messiah? I think, you know, the way she says it is almost like, I think this is the guy. And, and like, this is the thing that, that I keep trying to talk about on uncomplicating sharing the gospel. Um, because I think, like, anyone can do this. Like, this is what I've seen Jesus say, or this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard Jesus say. This is what I've seen Jesus do you should go check him out too. Like everyone, everyone can do this, right? I, there are people in this church, you can go up and say, like, come and see a man who taught me how to truly live in freedom. Come, come see a man who, who gave me strength and peace in the middle of tremendous difficulty and, and, saw, and trial. Like, come, come see him. Come, come see a man who's delivered me from, from addiction or anger or anxiety or frustration. Come, come see a man who's delivered me from, from all of these things. And, like, if you're, if you're a believer, you have some story. It's maybe not some story that's going to get published all over the news or whatever, but, but you have something that Jesus has done in you and for you, or you've heard him say things to you, his word, and part of your witness is just to go say, this is what he's done. This is what I've experienced. This is, this is what I've heard him say. This is what he's done. Um, maybe you should check him out too. And, and, and throughout John, that's what he's saying is a witness, because what, what are you doing when you're doing that? You're pointing people to Jesus. You're pointing away from yourself, saying, Look at this guy. Come see a man who has walked me through this before. You should check him out. And, and like those types of things are, are really natural. It just, it just kind of comes up in natural conversations. Uh, one, of, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is how like when, you, when you're interacting with non-believers, they don't always understand why, why going to church on Sunday morning is a big deal, right? Like I, when I, when I ran my dock business, we had to do a ton of work in like a three-week period. But we said we're not doing it on Sundays. Customers would always ask, why? Aren't you a lot of <laughs> And so I had an opportunity, just in a normal conversation, to say, well, here's why we're so important to us. Here's why Sabbath is so important to us. Here's what Jesus has done for us. 
Um, and it just came up naturally. I wasn't trying to manipulate. They were just asking. And so these are things we could do. Or, or as you're interacting with people who are in the midst of trial and difficulty, those are real moments where people are really, really wanting to know, how do I make it through? Like, things are tough. Things are difficult. How, how do I get through? I don't know how to get through. And you have an opportunity not to try to manipulate the conversation, but to sit down next to them and say, I've been in a spot kind of like this, and here's how Christ helped me through. Here's how he gave me peace. Here's how he gave me strength. Um, maybe you should look to him too. And, and it's really natural, and it doesn't come across as you trying to manipulate. It comes across as you sitting down saying, I'm, I'm here to help. And, and it really fits this image. Um, I, I just heard it this morning from R.C. Sproul, uh, and he was quoting Martin Luther. Martin Luther always said that, he said, I'm just a beggar going to show other beggars where to find bread, right? That's the, and, uh, and it's this idea where that's what we are. We're not coming in like the Christian expert or the bread maker. <laughs> We're just like, hey, I was scrounging around for something and I found it over here. Maybe this is going to help you too in this, in this moment. Here's, how, here's where I found some nourishment and strength. Maybe you can find some here too. And all you're doing is just simply talking about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and what's powerful, she, she gives this really basic testimony. She's not even saying, come see the Messiah. She's like, he might be the guy? <laughs> and then people come out of town and they start going to check out Jesus. And, and then in the midst of it, what happens? The disciples, they just bumble it all up again. I, you know, the disciples give me so much hope because they, they're just confused half the time, right? Um, and they had the Lord use them for, for such great stuff. And so, you know, the disciples are on a, a grocery run because Jesus was hungry. They run into town. They, they get some food. They come back. And, and rightly so, they would expect, all right, Jesus, you sent us to town to get food. We've got food now. Now you should eat. And Jesus didn't want to eat at that moment. And, and, and what he's telling them in this interaction, he's saying, there's actually some things that are more important for me to be doing right now than eating. That's, that's why he says, like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work in the world. He's saying, like, there's more going on right now, disciples, than the, than the grocery run that you were on. There, there's bigger things. God sent me here to do a work, and it's happening right now. And that's a lot more important than me eating right now. And I, I, I want to make sure we realize, too, Jesus is probably saying, like, we'll eat later, guys. Like, we'll eat. Just right now, there, there's bigger things happening. And, and he kind of rebukes the disciples, and he says, guys, don't, don't say there, there are four. And then comes the look, I tell you, up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. And, and his rebuke of the disciples in this moment is like, man, you guys, you've grown up in this agricultural society. You know when your fields are ready to be harvested. You, you pay attention to the calendar. You pay attention to the crops. You're, you're making sure that when the field is ready, you harvest it then. You don't wait too long. You don't harvest it too early, but you're watching it. And he said, but you're missing it all right now. Like something's happening right now, and you're seeing it, like, lift up your eyes. Fields of people, 
for harvest. And, and I think if we were watching this on a movie or maybe The Chosen, I guess I haven't watched this version of the cho- this one of The Chosen, so maybe this is what it is. But if I was writing the movie, Jesus would be rebuking his disciples, and in the background, you would see the people flooding out of the city to go see Jesus, because that's what's happening. And Jesus is literally telling his disciples, like, wake up, look, there's people, they're coming. And you're worried about food. There are people that want to see me, want to hear what I have to say. This is why I've been sent by the Father. Like, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for the harvest. They're coming. And, and again, this is one of these things, you're going to see it throughout John. It happens over and over. In a few chapters, when we get to the feeding of the, of the 5,000, the disciples are so busy trying to take care of Jesus that they're ignorant of what's going on around them. They just kind of, they kind of miss the point. And, uh, I think one of the things that this is trying to, trying to do in us, because I think it happens to us all the time, we just kind of get going through life and just kind of do the things that we normally do that, that we don't really see the, the fields around us. Um, sometimes, sometimes we, we don't, lift up our eyes and see the fields because we've become just focused on ourselves. That, that happens. And we're just like, I just got to take care of me. I got to take care of my needs. I got to do this. I got to do this. And so our eyes are down like this and we don't actually lift up and see that. Sometimes, sometimes we're just so busy trying to um, do what the disciples are doing, trying to serve Jesus, that we're just kind of doing that, but our eyes aren't lifted up to actually see see the harvest uh, and i've been in like i've been in numerous churches who fall into that trap where where churches try to keep people so busy in their church doing things here that you get so busy trying to maintain everything in the church that you actually don't open your eyes to see that the fields are ripe for the harvest um and i think i think if we were to stop right now and and just look around us, it, just in Beaver Dam, I think we would see that the fields are actually ripe um, for the harvest. And I think that's maybe contrary to a number of people's opinions. Like, I, I've, I read all the statistics that, like, churches are shrinking and, and dying all over the country. Like, that's a thing that's, that's really happening. Um, that the number of people who claim to be non-religious is rising, like, multiple, it's like multiplying, exponentially rising each year, and that you can look at people and you can see people aren't, aren't just like walking away from God anymore. They're like running away from God. Like I see all of that, and yet I still think that the fields are ripe for harvest because as I talk to those people and I interact with them out in the community, I feel, I, I, I see that they're lost and they're helpless and they're lonely and they're despairing full of shame, and they're full of guilt, they don't have meaning, they don't have purpose, and they just kind of feel like they're just wandering. And I think those are fields ripe for the harvest, because we have a Savior that comes in and flips that whole thing around. And so, like, I, I want to challenge us as a church this next week to, to go out and, and, like, lift up your eyes and look. As you go through, as you go through Beaver Dam, look for the harvest. So, go to the grocery store, look for your groceries, but then look at the people in the grocery store that you're interacting with, 
and look to see if you think the fields are ripe for the harvest. Or when you go to Walmart or Fleet Farm or Menards, like look around um, with eyes wide open um, to see if the fields are ripe for harvest. Or as you go to work and you talk to coworkers and all that, are the fields ripe for harvest there? Because I can almost guarantee um, that if you lift your eyes and you just start looking, you'll see that the fields are ripe. Uh, for the harvest, and they're ready to hear us go out with our witness and testimony that he's given us. And yet, it's not always that easy. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, you know, I'm sending you out, and he says, one sows, one plants, and another reaps. And he said, I'm sending you out to reap or to harvest that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. And, And so Jesus is telling the disciples, like, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to have this massive harvest. And it's not because you're so great and it's not because you're such a big deal. It's because there have been people who are planting and watering for years and years and years. And what he's teaching us is that there are these different, different seasons in the life of God's people in the world, in the church. There are these seasons of planting and, and watering and then there's these seasons of harvest. And, uh, and that gives us comfort and hope. Or, and, and it gives us comfort and also humble. Um, because on the one hand, where you might be going out and sharing your faith and, and witnessing, like, man, I'm just pointing people to Jesus all the time, and yet nobody's believing. And this gives you, should give you comfort to know that you maybe are in a season of planting. And watering. And all of this work, uh, planting, 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 uh, you may not get to harvest it, but eventually God will send someone when the harvest is ready. And that should give us comfort to keep going because that's our calling in this moment. Um, and that flips, there, there are seasons of life. I've had seasons of ministry where it feels Every time I spoke to someone about Jesus, they just like gave their life to him and joined the church and fell on their knees and were baptized, and it was like, whoa! And, and when that happens, it should humble us, because you're not a big deal. <laughs> like, they did, they're not believing, like, reaping a harvest that others have planted and watered. It, it's not about you. And uh, it's just a reminder for us, I think, a, as a church, you know, every church kind of dreams and hopes that we're, we're entering into this season of the harvest, right? We're going to get out in the community and people are going to believe we're going to be coming in. Our church is going to go and we're going to see God doing all these mighty works. And that might happen. And if it does happen, it's not because we're a big deal. It's humble. If, if that does happen, it's because there have been people in this community planting and watering for years and years and years years and years, and God has just given us this unique blessing of being able to participate in the harvest. But it might not happen. We, we could be in a season of planting, and where we're going to just be out faithfully sharing the gospel, faithfully pointing people to Jesus over and over and over again, and we may see no fruit, and we should find comfort in that, that this may be a season of planting, and God's still sovereign over that as well. And that doesn't mean we sit back and we don't share the gospel. No, 
God's given us a season of planting. What do you do when it's a season of planting? You plant. <laughs> you don't sit back. You, you go out and you keep planting. You go out and you witness and you trust God's going to do this work. And he says both the sower and the reaper should rejoice together. Why? Because they're doing the work. The same thing that Jesus said at the beginning. I'm, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he's saying to the disciples, disciples, your food is to do the will of him who sent you. And congregation, your food is to do the will of him who sent you. And that might be, you might be a planter where you're just planting and planting and planting, but you see no harvest from that. Or you may be a harvester where you get to see all the beauty and the glory of that. But either way, we rejoice. And, and, and we get to see this, this cool interaction at the very end um, between, between all the Samaritans coming out and, and what happened because of this woman's witness. And so Jesus is connecting, uh, correcting his disciples, and then the, the scene kind of cuts away to all the Samaritans, and they said, many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. Um, like, that's all she said. And it says, many people, many people believed in Jesus because of her simple testimony, um, just because of her faithfulness. And, and I hope that just gives us courage and comfort that, like, that's all you have to be able to say is to go out and point people to Jesus, and he can use that, especially in a time of harvest, to have many people come in and believe him. But then there's this kind of flip side to this where, where the disciple, or they kind of hang out with Jesus, and then it says many more people believed because of Jesus' word. And then all these people that believed, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what, what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And, and the question is, did they believe in Jesus because of the woman's witness? Yes. Did they believe because they heard Jesus' word? Yes. Um, and, and the point is, like, it wasn't the woman's job to make them believe. They, her job was to just keep bringing them to Jesus, trusting that when they get to Jesus and they hear what he has to say and they encounter him, that the Spirit will work in them and they'll say, aha, now we've seen him, now we've heard him, he's the Savior. Now we believe. And, and it's a reminder for us, like, it's not our responsibility to make them believe. It's our responsibility to point them to Jesus and, and to bring them to Jesus. And, and it's not on you to do a, great, a good enough presentation that you convince them to believe. It's, not on, it's up to you to just keep pointing them to Jesus and say, listen to him, see him. He, here's what he's done for me. You should check him out too. And once you hear him, I think you'll say, this guy, he's the savior of the world. And that took a lot of pressure off of us. And when we, I went through phases where we had a lot, of, a lot of unchurched kids in our youth group. And I, I remember feeling this massive burden. Like, this is on me. If I mess this up, they're going to hell. Whew! You don't do a good job evangelizing that way because you're just so afraid. Um, and I remember having this realization, my job is to just keep pointing them to Christ and trusting the Spirit to do His work, trusting God to do His work. Um, and that frees you up to just be you um, and just to talk about what you've experienced. And so just to kind of to wrap this up, 
you know, kind of tie this all together. I, I just want us to, to leave from here um, making sharing our faith and evangelism less complicated, more natural, more normal, um, and actually just kind of be part of how we normally talk um, and interact with people. Uh, we don't need to overthink it. We just need to do it <laughs> and, and be natural about it. And the first step in doing all of this is to do what Jesus tells his disciples, to open our eyes um, and to just see the harvest that's out there. Because I think our community, the harvest is plentiful and the harvest is ripe. I think we just need to see that. And then as we see that, then we just enter into the harvest and we start living in the world like Christians do. And we talk like Christians do and we act like Christians do, and we just point people to Jesus in natural ways we do that. And, we, and as we do that, we just we trust our God. And we recognize we might be in a season, like it's hard for us always to know if we're in a season of planting or harvest, we just trust our God in the way. Like we might be in a season of planting where we'll be sharing our faith, sharing our faith, and we may not see a ton of fruit, and that's okay. We trust our God and we rejoice that we are, get to be an op- we have the opportunity to just keep planting. And if we get to see the harvest, we get to rejoice with God in that and say, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be part of the harvest. But either way, we go out, we do the work that God has called us to do. We're satisfied to do the work that he's called us to do, and we trust him because ultimately we're not the ones who bring in the harvest, who brings in the harvest. The Holy Spirit and our God, the triune God, right? He's called the Lord of the harvest, he, he brings it in. And so we just go out, we faithfully do the work he's called us to do and trust him to bring in the harvest because uh, we know he will one day. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful um, for your goodness and your grace um, and your mercy in our lives. Lord, we're thankful that, that you've worked in, in so many of our lives and you've drawn us to yourself uh, and made us your children. Um, and yet, Father, we, we confess to you that we often go out into the world and, and are, are hesitant to point people to you. And, and Father, we just pray that, that you would forgive us for that, on the one hand, that, that we would receive your forgiveness and your cleansing for, for not being witnesses in the world, as, as you've called us to do, uh, for causing our fear and anxiety prevent us from being a witness. And yet, Father, just stir in our hearts by your Spirit uh, a renewed sense, a new understanding of what it means to be a witness in the world, Father, and just empower us to go out into the harvest that we see around us and continually point people to you you've called us to. Help us to do that naturally. And, uh, and Father, we do pray, even as we plant, even as we water, we do pray that we would see a harvest in our day. Because we know that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than repents. Oh, Father, we, we want to be part of that rejoicing. We want to see people turn from their sin and, and come to know you. And so we pray that you would, you would use us and that you would bring in harvest. And yet, if it's a season of planting, Father, help us to be satisfied and rejoice in that, that we have the opportunity to plant uh, what you will harvest later. And all God's people said, amen.